Well, welcome tonight. So glad you guys are with us. Uh, it's a great night to worship together, isn't it? Uh, we have some exciting news. A couple of weeks ago, John Mark, uh, in a, both our Saturday and our Sunday service, made an announcement asking for help with our children's ministry. We needed more class teachers. And I just want to let you guys know, I want to brag on you guys for a few minutes, because uh, that same weekend, we had eight people automatically say, I want to help out. I want to, I want to do something to help out with our children's ministry, be a teacher, uh, help our teachers, and things like that. And so I'm very grateful to you guys. I want to express gratitude, uh, not only to you guys here on Saturdays, but also to our group on Sunday. Uh, we are a church that loves to serve one another, and that really does that well. And I think uh, our children's ministry is an excellent example of that. We've got, I think we've got five or six kiddos out uh, tonight. Uh, most of them are John Marks. Uh, but uh, it's good to be in a place where, where we serve one another so well and where we have kids that, uh, that really need the love uh, of, of adults. So thank you guys for being a part of this community and, and being willing to, to help out with different things, different ministries as the need arises. Tonight, I want us to talk about Uh, a question that maybe uh, you've struggled with this week. Maybe it's a question that you've struggled with uh, for a long time now. Maybe it's a question that causes you doubts, causes you uncertainties. Uh, And I don't know exactly what the question is. I'm going to give you a list of mine uh, because I think it's important to talk about those kinds of things from time to time and especially to acknowledge where our God comes in and interacts with us in the midst of those questions and those doubts. And so tonight we're going to ask some of the difficult questions. Uh, I'm going to ask some of mine, and, and hopefully you'll ask some of yours uh, while, you're, while you're sitting there and listening to the story that we're going to read from the book of Acts tonight. Because I think that what God does is not necessarily give us an easy answer to those questions. God doesn't just come in and fix it automatically. But I do think that there is a word for us to hear tonight, a word from God. So we've been in this series uh, in the book of Acts, and so we're going to pick that up. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn over to Acts chapter 12. Uh, we're going to get there in just a minute. If not, you can use your phone or just look at the screen. I think we have it on the screen uh, here in a minute. Uh, but as we do, think about that question. Think about the, the thing that you ask, uh, maybe that begs to be asked over and over again, the thing that you just wish that you had an answer to. Maybe it's, maybe it's something like this. What does God want for my life? How do I know? if I'm following the right path or not. Maybe it's uh, something a little bit more troublesome. Maybe it's a question like, if God exists, and if God is all-powerful, then why does evil exist in the world? Uh, Maybe to put it more pointedly, if God is all-powerful and is good, then why does evil exist? Maybe it's something uh, different. It doesn't really have something to do with you. Maybe it's that you notice that God answers some prayers positively, but other prayers negatively. And you wonder, why does God answer those ones but not these ones? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's uh, like if, if there's forces of darkness at work in the world, how do I stand a chance? When those things come up against me in my life, where do I turn? These are some of the questions that go through my mind. They might not be questions that apply to you. Uh, I don't know, maybe your question is totally different. Maybe your question is, uh, if God really loved me, then why did he or she back out of that relationship? Why did I lose my job when I needed it the most? Maybe your question is something totally different than, than those questions. I don't know what it is. But tonight I want us to ask those questions. 
because they're real and they matter to each and every one of us. So the book of Acts, chapter 11, we we finished off chapter 11 last week, and at the end of chapter 11, the church spreads everywhere. This movement of Christians goes from not just being in Jerusalem and in Judea, but we find out that it spreads to to Gentiles. It's going to places like Antioch, uh, which we all know where that is. Uh, It's going all over the place, though. Uh, It's spreading like crazy. And so people begin to take notice of, of this new movement, of this group of people that seem to be coming together when everything else tells them that they should be staying away and staying apart. And so Herod, this uh, king that's been set up by Caesar, who's the the Roman emperor, takes notice of this group because they start in, in the area that he controls. He's king over Jerusalem and over Judea, and that's where the movement starts, and it's beginning to spread to other places. And so before it goes any further, Herod's taking notice of it, and he's taking action. We find out at the beginning of chapter 12, that one of the apostles, James, who's the brother of John, uh, who we uh, say that wrote the Gospel of John, that James, one of the 12 apostles, is killed by Herod. And it just happens just like that. Verse 3, James is killed. Verse 4, we find out that it's not just James, but Peter has been imprisoned. And Herod is intending to kill Peter as well. So I want us to read this story, and I'm going to try and make the case for how this story interacts with the questions that we're asking tonight. Questions that cause us doubt and uncertainty. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to to look with me or just follow along on the screen. This is from Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 4. After Herod arrested Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and there were two other sentries that stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. A preacher I heard one time said, uh, it's not always good to be touched by an angel. Sometimes you get hit. Uh, So the angel says to him, you know, quick, get up, uh, and then says, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. I love this. Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the people, the Jewish people were anticipating. Peter has no clue that this is like real. He, he just thinks it's a dream. Uh, and he like wakes up. It's like that vivid moment in your dream, you know? And Peter finally wakes up here. Uh, it's, it's just a funny scene. I love it. Uh, verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark. And so there we find out that John Mark is really actually a lot older than he looks. Uh, they, he, Peter goes to this house where many people had gathered and they were praying and Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and she exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
And so Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the brother of Jesus, and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Uh, so this is a great story. A uh, lot of moments of, of humor sprinkled into this story of uh, Peter and the church not really recognizing what's going on, even though it's happening right in front of them. But it's not just a story that's got humorous moments. Uh, it's also a story that is deeply troublesome to the people who are involved. Uh, think about if you're an early follower of Jesus, and all of a sudden you're coming up against persecution yet again. Uh, throughout the book of Acts, it's like a wave that uh, ebbs and flows. Uh, persecution happens sometimes, and sometimes they experience a time of peace, and then it picks back up again. Uh, and so they're in a time of persecution yet again, but this time it's not just that they're being persecuted, but it's that their leaders are being killed. Uh, the church suffers in this story. James is murdered. Peter is about to be. I want to draw your attention to verse 1. Uh, I skipped over it, uh, and so it's really not fair to you. So I want to draw your attention back to it, uh, because in, very, in the very first verse of this story, it says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. The story is very explicit. It's King Herod. This is a story about power. <laughs> This is a story about who's in control. This is a story asking the question, is God the one who's in control? Or is it Herod? Is it Caesar? This is a political story. And Herod, who uh, is, is part of the powers that be, has taken notice of this group that is bringing together people who have no business being in the same room, people who have no uh, ethnic heritage related to each other, people who have uh, no status associated with one another. We have slaves and free people coming together to worship. And all of a sudden, the powers that be are put on notice, and they begin to feel threatened. And so Herod strikes out against the church, and he begins to attack the leaders of this movement. Uh, this King Herod is the grandson of the King Herod that we read about back in the story when Jesus is born. Uh, that's Herod the Great, and this is one of his grandsons, another Herod. And this Herod has picked up a few tricks along the way from his grandfather. If killing worked at the time of Jesus' birth to try and keep a king from coming to be, then it will work again now. And so Herod is, decides he's going to kill these people because it will bring him the throne. He'll be able to keep his power. But that's only Herod's plan. It's not God's. And so we begin this journey with Peter as he is imprisoned with all these guards surrounding him, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up and begins to free him, begins to show him that God is going to rescue him. And Peter has no idea that it's happening. Peter has no clue until he wakes up in the middle of a street all by himself. And I think it's at that point that Peter begins to realize something because this is a story about who's in control. And Peter yet again learns and begins to understand that it's Jesus who is really seated on the throne. And so tonight, as we ask these difficult questions that I asked you to think of at the beginning, that's where I want us to start. I want us to start with the understanding that Jesus is seated on the throne. 
And in fact, if you're asking those questions tonight, those difficult questions, the ones that cause you to doubt, that's the only place to start asking them. Because if Jesus isn't on the throne, then you're asking the wrong person. If Jesus is not on the throne, then it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what the words of Scripture says. We have to start with Jesus seated on the throne, and it's only then that we begin to understand what it is that God is doing in this world. Jesus, not Herod, not Caesar, is on the throne. And if you're like me, then chances are that can be a bit difficult to understand. That can be a bit difficult to digest and to swallow, especially when there's so much evidence, it seems, to the contrary. Things going on in the world, things going on in your life, things going on uh, seemingly everywhere. That seems to say, God's not really in control. If God was really in control, then he'd put a stop to it. He'd change it. We're not going to read the next little bit of the story, but I do want to tell you what happens. Because this is a political story. This is a story that asks the question, who is in control? Who really has the power? So just a few verses later, King Herod goes to Caesarea. It's, it's north of Jerusalem. It's north of where this scene has taken place with Peter. And he goes there, and the people there say about him, he's more than just a man. He must be a god. And when Herod doesn't say anything to the contrary angel of the Lord strikes Herod dead. And then imagine this. Herod's body is eaten by worms. And if you're anything like me, that story kind of disturbs you. Uh, It's a pretty disgusting image. But there's no question at the end of the day. Jesus is on the throne. Not Herod. So even through our doubts, even through our questions, even though I just threw another doubt maybe at you, if God is a good God, if God is a God of grace and love, then where's the grace and love for Herod? But I think the word that God has for us tonight can only be understood when we start with Jesus seated on the throne. And so that word that I want us to think about tonight is the word resurrection. Because a lot of times when we ask those difficult questions, those questions that we have when we have doubts, when we have fear, the questions when we're disgusted by what we find, the stories that are told, when we have those questions, we often just want a simple answer. We want God to just take it away, like it never happened. But that's not the word from Jesus. The word from Jesus is resurrection. Let me try and illustrate that for us. Uh, I'm a big book nerd. Uh, If you know me well, then uh, you know that. So I came across a couple of different things that people had written uh, over the past couple hundred years to try and help understand this idea of resurrection. Uh, So no surprise, I turned to J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I told you I'm a book nerd. Uh, And when he's writing this story, he comes to the end of the third book, and there's two characters uh, Sam Gamgee, who's, who's a little hobbit, who's been through uh, quite an ordeal, and then Gandalf. And at the beginning of the story, uh, they, they get separated, and the last thing that Sam knew was that he thought that Gandalf had died. 
And so Sam says these words uh, when he meets Gandalf again. He says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And in reflecting on that question, Tim Keller, who's a preacher in New York City, said, the answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Dostoevsky, I don't know how to say his first name, so I'm just going to say his last name. I'm not even sure I said that right. Uh, But Dostoevsky says it this way. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed up and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. At the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. In a word, they're talking about resurrection. Everything sad will come untrue. Death and evil will be undone. And God's good creation will be restored. And I think it starts with Jesus seated on the throne. But the story in Acts 12 pushes us to something else, too. Because the story in Acts 12 doesn't just say that that Jesus is on the throne and that Herod is no longer, that Caesar is no longer. But the story continues on with with Peter. He's come to, he's in this road all by himself, and at that moment, Peter realizes he's no longer a prisoner, but he is a fugitive. And so he runs to where he knows that the church has gathered, and he knocks at the door. Before we go any further, I want to draw your attention to something that I think most times we miss out on. Because back in verse 10, It says the Spirit of God, the angel, the messenger, leads Peter through the prison gate, and it opens by itself. And then in verse 13, same word, Peter comes to the door where the church has gathered, and he knocks. We get this funny back-and-forth exchange of the servant coming to the door and, oh, it's Peter. He's here. What we've been praying for has happened. Uh, And and then the people of the church don't believe her, and finally they let him in. I think it's an important point that Luke is making as he writes this story. Because what God does in verse 10, God asks the church to join in with in verse 13. God opens the gate in verse 10. And then in verse 13, he asked the church to do the same. And I think that that makes a big difference for us. Because we're not just a people who uh, come together and gather and who worship this God who's seated on the throne and expect for God to fix things for us or to change things for us. But this is a God who invites us in. He opens the door and he asks that we do the same. Are we going to let Peter stand out in the cold, running away from the authorities? Are we going to join in with what God is doing in the world? 
and open the door. So I ask you to think about your questions and your doubts. And here's what I want to land on that. I don't have an answer for your questions. I don't have an answer for my own questions. What I do have is a word from God. Everything sad will come untrue. The mirage will fade away. And something more beautiful and precious will take its place. God's opened the door. He's asking us to join in with him and to open it too. One more thing. The church, when they gather in this home, they're seated together and they're praying with one another and they're asking God to deliver Peter. I'm sure they're asking the question why God is going to answer this request but not the one about James because I'm sure that they prayed for James too. But they're seated there together and Peter knocks at the door. But they don't really think it's him. I want to draw your attention to the fact that I think a lot of times when we pray to God, God begins to act and work in the world and he invites us to join in with it but we better have our eyes open. We better be willing to open the door. Eugene Peterson says, uh, be slow to pray because praying puts us at risk of getting involved with God's conditions. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but it gets us what God wants. And when we realize what's going on, it is often too late to go back. The early church was praying for Peter's release, for his rescue. And when it happened, they weren't ready for it. Be slow to pray, church, because God just might answer your prayer and ask you to get involved in it too. Tonight, we're going to do what we do every Saturday night. We're going to come and we're going to take communion together as the uh, band leads us in worship. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer in the, in the back closet, or if you just want to write a request and have somebody uh, pray over that this week, our prayer team will pray for those. And as we do that, I want to invite you to be slow to pray. Be slow. Because God is doing a resurrection work in this world. When you come up against that evil, that pain, that loss, when you ask the questions of doubt and uncertainty, know that God is, in fact, doing a resurrection work in this world. And he's doing it through people like you and me. So as we worship together, stay seated, stand up, go to the prayer closet, come and take communion with one another. But remember that this is a God when all things point in the other direction is seated on the throne and who wants to resurrect each and every one of us. Let's worship together.